1: news headquarters in new york city always seeking solutions never sowing division it's brian Kilmead.
2: well i'm really glad you're joining us here on the brian Kilmead show my name is joe kelly coming to you live from the florida freedom zone here at wdbo in orlando florida it's uh, brian's orlando flagship radio station we are absolutely thrilled to have brian on our radio station Uh, weekdays, 9 a.m. to noon Eastern here on WDBO. I am the host of The Joe Kelly Show. Uh, which you can check out 5 to 7 p.m. Uh, weekdays here on WDBO. And an honor to be filling in for BK today while he is on a very important assignment. Uh, as always, the call in show for BK is 866 408 7669. That's 866 408 7669. The website, the Brian, uh, rather, Brian Kilmead uh The New York Times best selling author and radio host and star of television and stage and everything else. He- he is, he is the GOAT. He is nearly an EGOT and all the other great acronyms that we can think of for Brian. Uh, he is off today on, as I said, a very special assignment. Now, I want to go turn straight away to something that has been on a lot of our hearts and minds here in the last couple of days, and that is the those rapidly moving and very deadly wildfires in Maui, Hawaii. And Fox and & Friends Weekend co-host Will Kane is joining us. And Will is in Maui. And in most circumstances, Will, when you, get, when you get the Hawaii assignment, that's a pretty plum assignment. This time, though, uh, it, it has got to be uh, difficult to deal with, I would imagine. Will Kane, welcome to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Thank you so much. Yeah, it is a paradise. So normally you would be very, very excited to be headed to Hawaii. In fact, I've been heading to Hawaii my entire life, uh, Joe, every summer spend my summers here since I was a child here in West Maui. And I got to tell you, uh, my heart is just full of love for it because it's paradise. But on the other hand, as you say, today, it's a little bit of a lost paradise. It is, uh, it's sad to see the town of Lahaina, which is the heart of West Maui, be completely and utterly destroyed. You know, I, I would love for your listeners to kind of picture in their mind, if they would, like two spheres connected by a small strip of land in between. And that would be sort of what you'd look at, what you'd envision with West Maui's geography. There's West Maui, which is the upper north western sphere, and the lower, larger round sphere would be the rest of Maui. West Maui is cut off. There's one lane in, one road in, um, and it circumvents the top, and it's cut off physically and it's cut off informationally. You can't get much information. For most of the time that we've been here, we're the only media – national media presence in West Maui. Most of the images you see are either drone footage, stock footage of a few individuals who got in and fed it out, or they're broadcasting from the other side of Maui. So we've had a really special opportunity here to be in West Maui. We've seen Lahaina, the town that's been lost by sea. We were on a boat yesterday, got an up-close look at Front Street, historic downtown, by car, drove in and saw parts of Lahaina, and we uh, had a small – plane as well fly us over Lahaina and it's uh it's super sad on a personal level for me but also I've seen the response. It's, it's sad for America.
2: And, and Will, as, uh, as you are there in, on the island right now and you're, you're describing the two different spheres there and, and you're really the only major media presence that is there, is the lack of media posing a problem uh, in addition to the lack of, of responders, in addition to the lack of fresh water, of, of fresh food and, and, uh, and more? I mean, is, is that posing a problem, not getting live reports out of Maui?
3: So, yes, let me address resources. Um, They got the power back on. It took about four or five days, and the power has been back on for two days in West Maui. Cell service information, very hard to come by. It's very hard to get internet. You and I are talking by cell, so you can get cell services. And quite honestly, it's 3 o'clock in the morning here in Maui, so there's less competition for bandwidth right now. Every broadcast I've had for Fox is through Starlink in West Maui, another great invention by Elon Musk. So they did a great job, honestly, of of getting people water and sewage, um, their parts, but most of the parts where you can't get water is where people have already had their homes destroyed. So, there's been a few successes, but there's been much, much more in terms of failure. Leadership is a complete failure because the most vital resource that is missing is information. It's chaos in that ter- in that realm. People don't know. They don't know, hey, is our water good? Is our water bad? They don't know. How do I get in? How do I get out? There are rumors and conspiracies everywhere about what happened, how many people are missing, what caused the fire, and it's an informational black hole. We were here, and uh, I'd say it, it was yesterday. Uh, The days all run together for me both because of the time change and uh, the lack of sleep. But it was yesterday. We were broadcasting from a relief center, and um, a representative from the mayor's office, mayor of Maui, came over and said, you have to go. You have to go. This is – West Maui is a media-free zone. I said – what are you talking about? This is still the United States of America. By Fine. the way, I was 12 miles I was 12 miles from Lahaina at that point. I was 12 miles from the downtown. No good argument about disturbing any of the relief or recovery efforts. No good argument for that. So the only argument that really matters is the Constitution of the United States. And that attempt to suppress information, what happens when you do that is the gap is filled by misinformation, sure. real stuff like rumor and conspiracy. So and then there's the national leadership, which I think, Joe, is, is pretty appalling. I think no comment will not suffice, you know, the people of Lahaina from Joe Biden. And then now uh, there's reports of $700 per household for Lahaina. I don't know how many households. There's 13,000 residents of Lahaina. I don't know. What is that? It's just probably multi generational homes. So we could say five. If we said five people per home, what is that? $700 for two and a half, you get. It's uh, doing my math really quickly. That's like four thousand households. Thirty thirty five hundred. Seven so, uh, hundred dollars per household. Whatever it is, Joe. Yeah. Here, let's make the math easy. It's a fraction of what we send to Ukraine, and this is the United States of America.
2: Yeah, we're we're we're. we're I, in fact, I just read this math uh, that we're sending roughly twenty five hundred dollars per Ukrainian. Uh, meanwhile, we're sending seven hundred and fifty per family in Maui, and and when will that money get there? And and what will be uh, 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 available to purchase with seven hundred dollars?
3: Well, that's a big. Well, nothing will be able to be purchased for seven hundred dollars. But what is purchased? How this is done next is actually a really big conversation and one that people talk about. What what was you know one of the reasons people have responded? If I I'm going to say a couple of things first of all, I've been. I've had my heart touched in, in a very profound way in that the Fox viewers and Fox family have responded. Having such deep connections here, friends and family of mine have put together a GoFundMe. It's GoFundMe to help the people of Maui. You can find it at com as well. And they have raised for us, the viewers of Fox, w- over $1.3 million that I will help oversee guarantees goes to people who lived in Lahaina. But let me just – I want to put this into context. People have given because many people have come here. They've they've honeymooned here. They've vacationed here. And it's so special, and it it retains this place of beautiful memory in each and every one of their lives. But a lot of the tourist stuff has survived. We lost Front Street. We lost historic Front Street. We lost history. That goes back 200 years. Uh, Missions, churches, of course, bars and restaurants. Uh, buildings dating back to the 1800s, the banyan tree they're trying to save, it's the largest banyan tree in America, commemorates the Christian missionaries who came to this island. That's been lost. But what also has, like, what's really been lost are those lives and the homes of local people. Local people lived in Lahaina, not tourists, not hotels. They supported this entire side of the island. Hawaiians, and what is Hawaii without Hawaiians? There's a lot of concern about what happens next. Is it sold to developers? Does the government try to buy the land? You can't have this turn into Disneyland. You know It's still going to be beautiful, so they're going to build something, but it can't just be Disneyland. It has to be Hawaii, and that means it has to be a place where Hawaiians can still come and rebuild their lives and their homes.
2: We are talking to Will Kane. He's the Fox & Friends Weekend co-host. He is reporting from Maui where it is 3 o'clock in the morning. We've heard reports, Will, of looting, and especially in the overnight hours. Uh, Have you seen or heard of any kind of problems with regards to looting?
3: Mostly fake news. I can't say it hasn't happened because I can't be everywhere all at once, but I will tell you this. Like you said, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and I've been all over West Maui at every hour of the night. I broadcast on Fox & Friends from uh, midnight to 3. I've been doing hits after that on America's Newsroom and others until about 4 or 5 in the morning, every morning, and we are up and down this entire coastline. Uh, and I've never seen any of these bandits or looting or robberies that people are talking about. I haven't seen any of that. Again, I can't say it's never happened, but I've never seen Hint or anyone tell me about it happening either. And I did see the police chief of maui say most of that is fake news
2: well i'm reminded of puerto rico uh you know an island uh an island closer here to florida and after hurricane maria hit there were a lot of logistical problems just getting to the island and getting ships to the island of puerto rico does are there similar logistics issues when it comes to the island of maui
3: absolutely i'm glad you asked me that so you know, I saw a guy post this on Instagram, local guy talking about it was it's been a while, but there's a huge hurricane that hit Kauai, another island in the Hawaiian island chains. And the response from the federal government and everybody and how they got there so quickly is in stark contrast to what you've seen here in Maui. Now, part of that is logistics. It is hard to get here. it really it, it, because again it's it's really one road. Um, so that is a difficulty. But I don't think it fully forgives the response from government. I don't think it does because let me tell you what I've seen since I've been here. I've seen civilians. I've seen community be the major response. I met two 29-year-old women who have five kids between them. One of them has a seven-month-old, and they have have a civilian airlift going from the other side of the island to this side of the island bringing supplies. I know they're running boats from Molokai, a really remote, um, uh, rural island. They're bringing boats over to bring gasoline and supplies. To civilian boat ramps. I have a friend who owns a boat. He was making runs to the other side of the island to pick up supplies to bring back to the people. And so it's logistically hard. That doesn't forgive the federal government and the government response, but it should fill your heart with inspiration the way that Americans and community have responded.
2: And, to Will, to further make a comparison to Puerto Rico, after Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico, a lot of tourists said, OK, we're not going to go to Puerto Rico now because of all the damage. Uh, we, then Puerto Rican tourist officials said, no, 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 please continue to come to Puerto Rico because, you know, people depend on that money coming to Puerto Rico. And some of the businesses were open. I, I read that Paris Hilton is vacationing in Maui right now, and she has uh, sh- she has been raked across the coals. But You know what? That's a terrible analogy, and I'm sorry. Uh, for making it, but she has uh, she has been blasted on social media for vacationing in Maui. Uh, what is the sense there? Is is it appropriate or not for people to continue their vacation plans there?
3: I guess I'm a little. Im- I hadn't seen that about Paris Hilton, so I don't know where she would be. She must be on the other side of the island. There's a lot of other tourist places you can be than where I am. I also, there's no there's no tourists here in West Maui. There's a lot of uh, you know hotels and resorts. I mean I, I got to tell you, my crew and I, I, I took a run on the beach. and I mean there's nobody on the beach. Um, it's, it's, it's empty in West Maui. Um, but the rest of Maui is open for business, and it should be. I mean I can't speak to Paris Hilton, but it, this economy is mainly tourism. Long gone is pineapple plantations. Long gone is sugarcane harvesting. The main economy is tourism. And if the rest of Maui can support – and I think that they can. I was on the other side. Tourists, they still need that money coming in, and I don't. Want, and that's why, you know, I gave such emphasis to describing the geography to you, West Maui versus the other side of Maui. It's West Maui where the problem is, and I can tell you there are there are not tourists up here. And for the other side, they still need their economy.
2: All right, Will Kane, and, and it's helpmauinow.com. Is that right? That's right. Thank you. HelpMauiNow.com. Will Kane, Fox and Friends Weekend co host, and, and uh, they're on the island of Maui for us with a, a live firsthand report. Uh, Will, continue to stay safe, get some rest. I know it is very late. You've got a long day again ahead of you, uh, but thank you so much for getting the update here for Brian Kilmeade's listeners. I know that they really appreciate that
3: glad to be here thanks for having
2: me you got it i'm joe kelly you're listening to the brian kilmeade show you can join me at 866-408-7669 brian we will continue coming up next here on the brian kilmeade show
1: coming to you on a need-to-know basis because man do you need to know it's brian kilmeade
0: this episode is brought to you by shopify
1: He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Brian is on assignment today. I'm Joe Kelly. You'll find me online, social media everywhere, at Talk Radio Joe. Uh, That is going to be on Facebook, on Instagram, on X. Now called X. I don't know if I'm ever going to get used to that. You can X me at Talk Radio Joe, uh, Truth Social, uh, Rumble, pretty much uh, everywhere. Even on my PS4, I don't have the PS5, but even on my PS4, you'll find me at Talk Radio Joe. You can call into the Brian Kilmeade Show eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We're talking uh, currently about the fires uh, and the aftermath in Maui. And I got to tell you, when I earlier this week on on Monday, when I first saw that Oprah Winfrey showed up. Uh, at what is uh, what is called the War Memorial Gymnasium uh, there on the on the island of Maui, A- and I saw video of oprah Winfrey billionaire Oprah Winfrey handing out supplies and pillows to those fire refugees. I mean, they're seeking refuge from the fire. And I thought, wow, you know, I know that Oprah owns a lot of land on Maui. Uh, I've read both she owns 1,000 acres and I've read that she owns 2,000 acres. So she owns somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 acres on, Ma- on Maui. That can't be cheap uh, in and of itself. But I saw her handing out these supplies and I thought, you know what? Uh, that that is, uh, That's kind of cool. I Look, my job is to call balls and strikes, right? I don't think... I think that even bad people can do good things, and even good people can do bad things, and I call balls and strikes as I see them. Generally, I'm not a big fan of Oprah Winfrey. I'm not a fan of her politics, but I saw her there in the gymnasium handing out pedals, handing out supplies, and I thought to myself, you know what? At least she didn't bring a camera crew Uh, Good for her. I mean, clearly the video that we were watching was was taken on cell phones. And and when when it was kind of a wide shot, there was no camera crew there. And so I I gave I gave props to Oprah Winfrey. Well, one day later, I found out the real truth about Oprah Winfrey. And uh, I, I wasn't remotely surprised by it. But evidently, Oprah did, in fact, show up with the camera crew from CBS News and they wouldn't let her in with the camera crew. And they finally let her in uh, once she agreed to to park her camera crew outside. They were not allowed to come inside the uh, auditorium or the gymnasium there for the privacy of the refugees. And so I, I walk back everything kind that I said about Oprah Winfrey. Uh, to bring a camera crew while you do good things is not... About doing good things, bringing a camera crew while you do good things is all about Oprah Winfrey. It's all about her brand, and she should be ashamed of herself. Uh, it's it's one thing to give out of the kindness of your own heart. It's another to give out of the desire to promote your brand, and it is disgusting and obnoxious. Uh, it is obscene. It's it's horrible uh, to to do that to the citizens and residents there of Maui uh, to come there for your your own self aggrandizement uh, to try to make yourself look better uh, in in front of people who have lost. Everything, and I just think that is absolutely deplorable. And so I had to walk back every kind thing. Again, I call balls and strikes, and in that case, I uh, my my initial analysis was wrong simply because I didn't have all the information I do now, and I am disgusted by Oprah Winfrey. Eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Coming up here on the Brian Kilmeade Show, stick around. There are some funky shenanigans going on in New Jersey. When it comes to trans students, we're going to we're going to peel back the layers of that and share the details with you. Coming up next here on the Brian Kilmeade show. I'm Joe Kelly. Stay right where you are.
1: Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade show.
2: It is indeed The Brian Kilmeade Show. My name is Joe Kelly. I'm guest hosting for Brian today. He is on assignment. You can join me at 866-408-7669. Get details about the uh, New York Times best-selling author, radio host, television host, Brian Kilmeade. Just go to com. Joining us now on the Brian Kilmeade Show, Fox News correspondent Nate Foy. And Nate has information for us uh, today about a case in New Jersey dealing with parental notification, something, Nate, that we're very familiar with here in Florida, in the Florida Freedom Zone, when it comes to parental rights and education Uh, But New Jersey is having the the same issue but in reverse. Uh, Nate, can you bring us up to speed as to the the case there?
4: Yeah, of course, Joe. Thank you for having me. Uh, So pretty much what's happening right now is the state is suing three school districts who implemented new policies that require teachers to communicate with parents if a child changes gender identities. Right now, the state does not require it. And essentially it has to be done voluntarily for the child. The state's argument would be that uh, some parents aren't ready to hear that news and wouldn't be able to provide uh, a supportive environment for that child. And uh, the parents who elected school board members to represent their values feel very, very differently. And, you know, their stance is how can I help my child if I don't know what's going on?
2: So, I'm a little slow on the uptake here, and I just want to make sure I understand this properly, Nate. So, you're saying that in the state of New Jersey, schools are or are not required to tell parents when their children, when students, uh, want to identify as
4: trans? They are not required, and this impacts kids as young as five years old. The, these policies impact kindergartners. Now, the state put out, uh, the attorney general's office here in New Jersey, or uh, in New Jersey, put out a statement last night or yesterday, clarifying that they're not seeking to ban parental notification. But what they won't do is require it. And these school districts are essentially stepping forward and saying, hold on a second. You know, this is my child. The the government is not parenting my kid. And I have every right to know um, if this is happening. And, And it's also important to point out that in these three districts, this would only happen these policies would only be triggered if the kid were to request a public accommodation at the school so that would mean wanting to play on you know if you're a biological boy identifying as a girl playing on a girl's sports team or using the girls locker room those sort of things officially changing your student records to reflect your new gender identity and and your name only at that point would these policies be triggered in these three districts? And the state isn't okay with that. So um, more than that, you know, I mentioned that the state argues that some parents wouldn't be ready to provide a supportive environment. But, um, you know, I read over the the policies I've been speaking with the Middletown school board president and the policy specifically requires each district to assess the situation of the individual child in regards to any documented abuse or any safety concerns uh, before they would theoretically bring the parents in. The conversation would start privately with the child at school. Then it would involve the parents. And And the state argues that schools facilitating these transgender kids coming out to their parents, you know, the school facilitating that conversation would cause uh, the words that that the uh, state used in court yesterday were irreversible harm to the children if if these policies are to be implemented.
2: You mentioned the president of the Middletown, New Jersey school board. His name is Frank Capone. Let's take a listen here uh, as he was on the story. Uh, This is Frank Capone, cut 26.
3: Absolutely. This is the hill we all die on, I think, because our parental rights are under attack, not only in New Jersey,
2: but across the whole entire country. And we're not going to allow this narrative and agenda and ideology to be portrayed on our children because of
3: Governor Murphy and Matt Plackens thoughts about what this policy they think is taking place, which is totally false.
2: We're talking to Nate Foy, who is a Fox News correspondent. And we just heard there from Frank Capone, the president of the Middletown, New Jersey school board. And regrettably, Nate, a lot of times uh, conservatives will be painted as just being flat out anti-trans. And I'm sure that there are some conservatives who are flat out anti-trans. But for the rest of us, it's not about whether or not Uh, A grown adult identifies as a man or a woman. It's about whether or not parents have the right to know what their children are doing in their schools, particularly something as as big as changing one's gender identity. This is not like changing from writing with pencil to pen or from print to cursive. This is this is something so much more important.
4: Yeah. And, and, you know, it can cause irreversible damage to these kids who are are going through these processes if if drugs get involved. But, um, you know, I I was talking to parents. They were saying that we get a phone call if our child has a stomach ache at school. So why would we not get a phone call if our child is is changing gender identities? The interesting thing um, about this, this argument between the two sides is that both sides genuinely believe that they're protecting the trans students. And, you know to your point I, th- I i i think that the accusation uh, against the parents is that you're you're endangering transgender kids and the argument from the school boards and speaking to you know mr capone and 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 the the parents involved here we had over 100 parents come out to support the school boards at yesterday's hearing they believe this is the best way forward to protect transgender students. And and obviously it's a very difficult, emotional thing to go through. And parents want to help their child if they're going through that. So both sides are are really, they believe that they are protecting uh, these transgender kids. I do want to elaborate uh, on something that Capone just said. Uh, he was frustrated. He told me yesterday he's frustrated after the hearing that it, it feels as though that the state doesn't even understand the policies that his district is trying to implement or or possibly they haven't even read the policy uh, because the attorney general's office put out a statement after the hearing yesterday. Uh, I, I, I talked about this on television. Um, this is the direct quote from that statement from the state. These new policies mandate disclosure based on certain protected characteristics without even assessing the individual needs or concerns of the child. Now, this was a point of contention also in the hearing yesterday, and Mr. Capone told me that he's frustrated because his policy explicitly states that the school needs to assess the individual circumstance of the child, and and that's a relatively big part of the state's argument for why these policies shouldn't be implemented, so – he told me yesterday it feels as though that the state hasn't even read his policy.
2: Nate, I got to tell you if 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 and you know, I've got school age kids, if my my kid's school called me up and said, "Hey, well, uh, we've got an important meeting we want to have with you and and your son, we need you to come down to the school and and if I was suddenly uh, and I'd feel like I was being ambushed, you know, because it would be my own child, and and his or her uh, teachers or administrators or whomever. And if they said, "Hey, your son or daughter wants to, uh, wants to change gender identities," I mean, I would I would be apoplectic uh, that this the school is facilitating this. Uh, yet I can understand, I can understand from some trans activists how they would think that some parents would, would handle it poorly. I think a lot of us would handle it poorly by simply because we wouldn't know how to react. You know, it would be, that would be, I would, I would be so gobsmacked, so stunned that I, I just wouldn't know how to react. And I would, I would have to walk out and take time to soak it in, pray about it, think about it and figure out how to react, you know, moving forward from there.
4: Yeah. And these policies, to be clear, wouldn't be triggered if the kid was having thoughts and and even expressing those thoughts, even experimenting with, you know, a name in class, asking a teacher to, you know, maybe call, you know, Michaela Mike or or something like that. Uh, it, It only would be triggered when when the child made a public accommodation request. So. Theoretically, it's difficult to imagine a circumstance where a child would get to that point, and and the parent really wouldn't know what was going on. If if the parent had no clue, um, and and the child was at a point of making a public request, then you know there, there's probably some issues there in the relationship uh, already. But um, either way, parents are concerned that. This could escalate quickly. That you know, their child could make a, a pretty abrupt decision w- w- without any advance warning or or signs that they could have picked up on. And they just want to ensure, sort of as a backstop, that the teachers are actually on their side, and and that if a child is going through this difficult process, that everyone's working together. And you know, one one parent yesterday told me it feels like schools are are keeping their kids' deepest, darkest secrets. Right. And and that doesn't feel right to them.
2: You know, we've seen recent studies indicate that the number of students who identify as trans uh, has absolutely skyrocketed in the last five years or so. Uh, which which speaks to uh, it being a social contagion uh, that that some kids uh, and, and I think a lot of kids probably go through periods of their life where they're confused about sex and confused about sexual identity. And I, I mean, that that part in and of itself, I think, makes sense. Uh, but. As more and more people come out as trans, is there any discussion about it being a social contagion and, and not real feelings that these kids have?
4: Well, that's that's certainly a concern from parents not only here in New Jersey in these three districts but across the entire country that you know, every kid goes through a difficult time as you're learning who you are and your body's changing and with the amount of, of children who are now identifying as transgender – you know, there's an argument that theoretically it could provide a sense of belonging. You know, if you come out as transgender, there's a community that is, is ready to welcome you. And and for a lost child, that could be attractive. So um, that that's why many parents want to make sure that, that no irreversible changes are made um, and that they can work through this challenge. And, and whether or not the child eventually wants to go through with it, that's something that they want to work out uh, with the child, rather than being left out of the process. But um, you know, th- this policy is is just sort of part of what's happening here in in the state of New Jersey in regards to gender identity. Just two weeks ago, uh, a vote w- w- was passed for a new regulation in New Jersey where where children will be divided for their sex education courses by their gender identity rather than their biological sex. So that wow. means that, you know, a, a biological boy who identifies as a girl could take girl sex ed courses. And, you know, I spoke this morning, we we just played it on Fox News Channel uh, and it will be playing throughout the day. Of you know, I, I spoke this morning with the vice president of the New Jersey Board of Education and he was saying uh, it's already an extremely delicate and sensitive subject for just, you know, put yourself in the position of of, of a girl learning in a sex ed class. It's it's an awkward subject um, for them to learn about. And the idea that biological boys uh, could be in that class with them learning about, you know, sex from the female perspective is is something that a lot of parents that I spoke with throughout yesterday's hearing – also even though it's not the specific concern that that brought everyone to court yesterday it's another similar adjacent topic that that parents are really upset about.
2: Nate, you know how the brain works. We we remember the extraordinary, but our brain tends to forget the ordinary. And uh, you, you mentioned sex ed in school. I mean, I still remember the awkwardness of sex ed when I was in school. And that was back when we really only had two genders <laughs> popularly. And, and it was all boys in my class. And I still remember the awkwardness of, of the sex ed class. I can only imagine how awkward it gets when you start bringing in other people who identify as other genders. Last question for you, Nate Foy, Fox News correspondent. What is the next step here? What are we waiting for when it comes to this New Jersey judge and, and making a decision on this?
4: So the judge yesterday, the Superior Court Judge David Bauman, said a decision would be coming shortly. That, that was the word that he used uh, on an injunction being sought by the state to block these policies from taking effect. So uh, you know, the judge did not exactly explain what he meant by shortly. Sure. I, I was told by some lawyers involved in the case and Mr. Capone, the Middletown school board president, that they're expecting a decision to be made by the end of the week. Uh, it, it could happen any second. So so all day yeah. I'm I'm checking to see if a ruling has come down. Uh, so parents are, are anxiously awaiting that ruling with – rather immediate impacts on the horizon because school starts here in new jersey in three weeks and for these three districts whether or not they can implement their policy for you know parental gender notification policies they will be obviously heavily impacted by what happens and i, I get the sense that that if the districts don't get their way uh, with this ruling that they will continue fighting it through other avenues they would not actually you know lay out to me what what their plans are but they indicated that they would continue fighting for parental rights so we'll see what comes down with this ruling and 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 you know once it happens it will it will be live on the channel and then i'll I'll be talking to all the parents and and school board presidents that i can and and reaching out to the state as well and, and and getting their updated reaction to the judge's ruling whenever it comes down
2: Nate Foy, Fox News correspondent. Great reporting, Nate. I know you'll continue to follow the story and bring the latest to Brian Kilmeade's listeners here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Nate, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. You bet. And as a point of comparison, I thought it was interesting that he says that school starts in Uh, Three weeks in New Jersey, here in central Florida at least. Uh, We're into our second week of school already. We've had temperatures uh, near or at 100. That massive heat wave that has been affecting so much of the United States uh, has been affecting us here in central Florida and particularly southern Florida as well. It has been blistering hot as these kids go back to school here in central Florida. My name is Joe Kelly. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll have some time for your phone calls coming up at 866 you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
2: All right, here's going to be perhaps the weirdest story you might hear today. A Native American group is now attempting to To rebrand Washington's NFL franchise back to the original Redskins name. Yes, you heard that right here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. There are Native Americans who want the Redskins back as the name of the Washington football team rather than the Washington Commanders. Uh, You've heard of MAGA, of course. We'll now meet mm, NAGA, the Native American Guardians Association. NAGA. Boy, I don't like saying that on the radio. Uh, <clears throat> they're a North Dakota-based nonprofit organization. They started a Change.org uh, org petition uh, meant to bring back the iconic Washington Redskins name, and it has surpassed now one hundred thousand signatures. It was created on June twenty-first, uh, and Naga uh, wants to return the what they say the team, its loyal fan base, and the legacy it represents. They say that the Redskins carries a deep cultural, historical, and emotional significance, honoring the bravery, resilience, and warrior spirit associated with the Native American culture. Well, where exactly was Naga? Oh, I don't like saying that. Uh, Where were they when the commanders, when the Redskins were getting so much grief to change it away from the Redskins, one wonders? I'm Joe Kelly. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show, 866-408-7669. Go to briankilmeadeshow.com.
1: From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, I'm so glad you're joining us here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. My name is Joe Kelly, in for Brian today. Brian is on assignment. He'll be back here tomorrow. You can join me at 866-408-7669. You get details about Brian Kilmeade, uh, about his uh, New York Times best-selling books, about his radio show, about his... Uh, his television show on Fox News. Go to com. If you're looking for me, it's at Talk Radio Joe. Coming to you here from the Florida Freedom Zone, from Brian's flagship radio station in Central Florida, WDBO, uh, where right now, at this very moment, I am about 15 minutes away from the gates uh, to get into uh, what was once non-controversial Magic Kingdom. That's about 15 minutes drive from where I am right now. Uh, To get to SeaWorld, it's about 11 minutes from where I am right now. Universal Orlando Resort is about a 12-minute drive from where I am right now. If I wanted to get to the Kennedy Space Center, that's about an hour drive from from right here in the Orlando area. We've got all kinds of exciting things here. I will tell you, uh, it has been hot, It is, and most of the rest of the country knows this full well, but it has been brutally hot here in central Florida uh, for the last month or so, and it will stay hot. Uh, until we get into probably October. It, it is really, really warm, so just be mindful if you're planning a vacation here to Central Florida. Uh, nonetheless, we would be glad to have you. It is a, it's a wonderful place to be, and it's a great place to raise a family, great place to grow up, and it's certainly a great place to be on the radio. Uh, I host the Joe Kelly Show weekday afternoons, 5 to 7 p.m. here on WDBO. I'm very excited to have joining us now Fox News legal and political analyst Greg Jarrett is joining us, and Greg, a lot of people have been asking me questions about the, the latest of the Trump indictment, and to which I always respond to people, look, I'm not a lawyer, but uh, there are people who are much more uh, well-versed at, at this material than I am. And Greg, you are definitely one of those people. Give us uh, your the, the latest on the Fulton County indictments against Donald Trump, and, and we'll kind of expand from there.
5: Well, Joe, good to be with you. Uh, you know, this is less of a legitimate legal indictment and more of a political denunciation of Donald Trump. I mean, the D.A. claims in this indictment that, you know, every Trump social media post, public comment, speech message, telephone call, were all part of this grand criminal conspiracy. Uh, you know, for example, Fonnie Willis insists that when Trump urged his supporters to watch a hearing on TV, or sign petitions, or verify signatures, or solicit phone numbers, he was committing—and this is a quote—overt acts in furtherance of a conspiracy. He's got more than a hundred of these overt conspiracy acts. Uh, the absurdity of that, Joe, should be self-evident to any honest person. Uh, But she also claims that everything Trump said was false. Well, even if you accept that, so what? I mean, the U.S. Supreme Court has said that false claims are protected lawful speech under the First Amendment. Uh, You know, this is, I think, a partisan DA determined to ignore the high court and criminalize speech. And then the process you know, she's making it a crime to challenge election results. That's not criminal. The law allows it. This is a dangerous weaponization of the legal system against political opponents and a full frontal assault on the rule of law.
2: And yet it is going to suck up a lot of the atmosphere, a lot of the oxygen, and certainly a lot of the dollars uh, of Donald Trump's reelection campaign.
5: Yeah, that's what they want. I mean, you know, I think that they realize that if they gain a conviction in Fulton County, um, and you know, <laughs> which is dominated by Democrats who who hate Trump, they know it's not going to stand up on appeal, uh, but they don't care. What they want is an immediate goal of sidelining Donald Trump uh, as he runs for the Republican nomination, and he's clearly the front runner by far. So, you know, this is an effort to interfere in the upcoming presidential election, and they don't care if they're reversed on appeal. They just want the trial. They want the conviction, and, and they hope that it stops Donald Trump. You know, th- their attitude is, you know, we can't win with Joe Biden uh, honestly, so we're going to try to defeat his opponent by hook or by crook.
2: And it seems as if, Greg, that with with each new indictment that comes out, uh, the the Democrats get the reverse effect that they seemingly are aiming for. And that is to tear down Donald Trump. But he seems to be bolstered by each new indictment.
5: Yeah, I mean, Americans are pretty smart. You know, they see this for what it is. Um, This is not an effort uh, to prosecute serious crimes, but but rather, you know, just to stop Trump, to take uh, the choice away from voters across America. And they, you know, look, they watched as Hillary Clinton uh, clearly violated the law in her email scandal and obstructed justice. They saw, you know, her invent and finance the Russia collusion hoax. They watched as James Comey and others at the FBI lied to the FISA court, lied to Congress, lied to the American public about it all, and got away with it. Um, And they're pretty fed up with this sort of thing. And, you know, they look at that absurd New York indictment by Alvin Bragg, in which he can't even state uh, in the criminal codes uh, the crime that Trump allegedly committed, because he didn't commit any. Uh, And, you know, the The Mar-a-Lago raid. And that's governed by a civil statute. It's not a criminal statute. So, you know, they see all of this happening. And frankly, they're angry about it. And it is only increased and solidified the support for Donald Trump.
2: It is. Do do you find from conservatives, from from Donald Trump supporters or or at least people who voted for Donald Trump – sometimes those aren't the same people – but for people who voted for Donald Trump, is it more about outrage that Donald Trump has been charged with all of these – uh, issues that are are arguably not criminal, or is it about having that 2 tier justice system, as you just described, that Hillary Clinton gets a pass, so many other people get a pass, seemingly on the left, while Donald Trump is having everything thrown at him. I heard somebody refer to it as like a Jackson Pollock painting. They're just thing, throwing everything at the canvas to see what sticks.
5: Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think they're increasingly seen Donald Trump, not as a villain, but as a victim. And, you know, people who might not have been inclined to support him uh, have now become so incensed at what they see that they've decided, you know, I, I don't care. The Biden administration, Merrick Garland, Department of Justice, FBI, CIA, I mean, they've all gone rogue. And they're not just going after Trump. They're going after Republicans. And they're fighting back. You know, it's not a crime for somebody to say that an election was stolen. Hillary Clinton did it. She still does. And so did Stacey Abrams in Georgia, who still thinks she's somehow the governor of that state. Nor is it criminal to challenge the result, as Democrats did in three prior elections. You know, the question here in this Fulton County indictment is whether the steps taken were illegal. Even if a candidate thinks he or she uh, lost. So what? They're still entitled under the law to challenge the result. That's not fraud. It's not a racketeering criminal enterprise in Georgia and elsewhere. You know, Trump and his lawyers complained in court filings about ballot irregularities, faulty machines, violation of laws, uh, valid votes not counted, invalid votes that were counted. Now, in the end, those challenges failed, but they're still entitled to make them as that somehow racketeering? Absolutely not. Exercising your legal rights to challenge the integrity of voting systems is perfectly lawful. Democrats do it all the time, and that's okay. But if Donald Trump does it, oh, that's a crime.
2: Well, I find myself, we're talking to Greg Jarrett, legal and political analyst for Fox News, author of Trial of the Century. And Greg, i I find myself being one of those conservatives that you just described, and that is, look, I voted for Donald Trump twice uh, in both general elections. I had pretty much set myself that I wasn't going to vote for Donald Trump again uh, moving forward. I, I, you know, being a Florida guy, I'm kind of looking at uh, Ron DeSantis, but boy, he's really flaming out uh, and, and failing to launch uh, his presidential candidacy, so I don't know where that's going. And at this point, as I see the Democrats throwing more and more and more at Donald Trump, Uh, I'm at the point now where I'm like, all right, fine, fine, let's get Donald Trump back in there because this is ridiculous uh, what what the Democrats keep doing to Donald Trump rather than just – trying to beat him at the ballot box they're trying to throw every single possible thing they can at him now now greg if if you were the trump campaign of course you're going to be juggling legal issues and campaign issues but are there out of the nine and by my math 91 counts for jurisdictions are there any of those counts in any of those jurisdictions that would concern you if you were on that campaign
5: what concerns me are not the legitimacy of the charges, but rather the unfair venues where, uh, you know, three of these cases are being tried in Fulton County, in Washington D.C., um, and in New York. Uh, a guy like Donald Trump in a highly politicized, politically charged case cannot get a fair trial. He can certainly win upon conviction uh, in the courts of appeals and the Supreme Court. That's what concerns me the most. And, you know, for example, in Georgia, I mean, this tactic, Joe, bringing racketeering charges is an egregious abuse of the statute. You know, that's used for the mob, organized crime. Racketeering requires proof of a corrupt, organized criminal enterprise and a repeated pattern of systemic illegal behavior. It involves extortion, money Uh, profit or control of property on a recurring basis. But here the DA is treating RICO like this elastic rubber band, and she's stretching it uh, until it snaps. Uh, The chilling effect on all of this is severe. In the future, are losing candidates going to fear criminal prosecution if they file election protests? So beyond doing damage to Trump's campaign, they're doing damage to our system of justice.
2: And Greg, Jared, help us understand the timeline here for uh, the court cases, uh, the the desired timeline for the court cases, uh, juxtaposed with the timeline of the campaign. I mean, there's going to be a lot of scheduling problems for Donald Trump moving forward.
5: Oh, absolutely. Uh, And that was by design. This is exactly what two of the local prosecutors as well as the federal special counsel jack smith wanted this is how they calculated it it's by design uh i mean think about it you know for jack smith's january 6 indictment uh fonnie willis's uh most recent fourth indictment uh two and a half years after the events of January 6th, and they suddenly bring it, especially at a point in time where, uh, you know, the incriminating evidence against Joe and Hunter Biden uh, seems to have reached a crescendo and probably will only get worse. So they wanted to time these indictments so that uh, the trials would take place during a stretch in which uh, Trump is supposed to be Uh, You know, campaigning in the primary uh, primary states beginning, you know, in Iowa, uh, the Iowa caucus and then the other primaries to follow. They want to sideline him in a courtroom so that he cannot get out and campaign.
2: Uh, Ty Cobb, who is the former White House counsel, appeared on CNN. uh, Cut four.
6: this is all Trump, you know, PR. This is you know, uh, generating chaos. Uh, I mean, frankly, there's a good chance that whatever document he produces ends up as evidence against him. It could even, could even end up, you know, as the basis for an obstruction count against, uh, against the author, because it's likely to be fiction, uh, and solely for the purpose of, um, uh, contaminating the jury pool.
2: Now I'm pretty sure he's talking there about a document that Donald Trump is, is set to release, uh, Monday at 11 a.m., where he says, Trump says, he'll be completely exonerated by that document. Any idea what that could be?
5: No, I don't really. I mean, I I suspect they have put together uh, some further evidence of election impropriety, uh, ballot irregularities and, you know, violation of election laws and so forth. Um, Whether it, it, it is a pivotal, substantial document I mean, I I don't know. Uh, but frankly, I never pay any attention to anything that Ty Cobb has to say.
2: Uh, that's Greg Jarrett. Greg is a legal and political analyst for Fox News, author of Trial of the Century. How about a plug for your book there, Greg?
5: Yeah, look, this truly was the trial of the century almost 100 years ago, the Scopes Monkey Trial. And, you know, America was on the precipice of... Uh, you know, getting rid of free speech rights and civil liberties and banning books. And the greatest trial lawyer who ever lived, uh, Clarence Darrow, saved the day. It's a fascinating story. Uh, The book Trial of the Century is available in bookstores everywhere and online.
2: Greg, thank you so much for your time here on The Brian Kilmeade Show today.
5: Hey, Joe, always good talking to you. Thanks for
2: having me. Thanks, buddy. That's Greg Jarrett, legal and political analyst for Fox News. I'm Joe Kelly, in for Brian Kilmeade. We'll get to some of your phone calls here in the next segment. You can join us now at 866 408 7669. You can follow me online at Talk Radio Joe. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Warren Zevon gets my blood going here this morning. I'm Joe Kelly in for Brian Kilmeade. 866-408-7669. Let's go to Canton, Ohio. Jim is on the Brian Kilmeade Show with Joe Kelly. Hi, Jim. How are you?
7: Hey, Joe. I'm doing well. How about you?
2: Excellent. Thank you. Great.
7: Hey, I'm calling just because we're looking. My wife and I were talking about the situation in Maui. And it hit me. I'm kind of bewildered. I just don't understand why they're having so many problems getting things going there with the U.S. Navy at Pearl Harbor right around the corner. They could drop in CBs. They could drop in military police. They could drop in supplies. They have landing craft. that could bring in construction equipment.
2: I'm well, you know, they, they can't go anywhere, Jim, as you all know, without the order of our commander in chief.
7: Well, if our commander in chief won't call for it, I would sure hope that President Trump would start calling for it.
2: I don't know that President Trump has that authority anymore, other than just the the bully pulpit, uh, which he loves. Uh, but I don't think uh, I don't think Trump has that ability anymore. And it's a good point, Jim. You make a very good point there that Pearl Harbor is so close. Not to mention that that Hawaii probably has more helicopters uh, on their island per capita than any other state in in the uh, the continental United States. Uh, they've got so many helicopters there for tourism. I would think that they would be able to, to drop in all kinds of uh, aid and supplies there. But certainly uh, with the military capacity there at Pearl Harbor, Jim, I think you're spot on uh, that, that that is a wasted opportunity there for response uh, for those poor victims there.
7: Well, I'm just thinking of, you know, even things like the landing craft that they have where the yeah. back end opens and equipment can just roll off right yeah. onto the land. They and if nothing, if nothing and else, that's. Housing.
2: Yeah, that is a great training exercise for the, for the Navy, and it's a great way to utilize uh, the resources that we have. Jim, I'm so glad you called. Thank you for listening to the Brian Kilmead Show. My name is Joe Kelly. Coming up, we're going to be talking about the, the blind side and Michael Orr and the new. Uh, Dirt that has been dug up about that. We'll get into that coming up next. Stay with us on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, I'm Joe Kelly at Talk Radio Joe. Filling in for Brian Kilmeade today. He is on assignment. He's going to be back with us tomorrow. You can join me at 866-408-7669. Coming up in a moment, we're going to talk to uh, Fox Business reporter Jerry Willis about the latest goings-on with the movie The Blind Side, Michael Orr, former NFL player, and, of course, the family that may or may not have adopted him, the Tui family. So we'll get into that coming up in a minute. Uh, Here in Orlando, which is where I broadcast from and and make a home, uh, my twin sons, I've got twin 17-year-old sons, uh, Black and Decker, and uh, one of them, Black, already has his driver's license. And Decker and I have been going out and driving. And and we went out driving the night before last. And I I looked down and I noticed he was driving with both feet. And I and I said to him, I said, "Hey man, uh, you don't do not drive with both feet." And he said, "Dad, that's uh, that's how I I see them doing it on Fast and the Furious." <laughs> and I said, "Well, okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. All right, there's two, two things. Uh, first, Fast and the Furious." Uh, is not a good guide to safe driving, so stop stop that right away uh, and b fast and the furious most of those or all of those cars really have clutches and they require the use of a second foot and uh, and i don 't think my son will ever need to learn how to drive a stick shift. Uh, because I, I don't, I don't see him driving a stick shift in the future. I always get amused when I hear about a an attempted carjacking or a car theft, and and the carjacker, would be carjacker or car thief, uh, doesn't know how to drive a standard transmission and can't thus steal the car. Uh, that always makes me happy. But I don't see a scenario under which you know my kids these days are going to need to learn to drive a stick any more than they're going to l- need to learn how to write in cursive. Uh, you know just times change, and uh, look i I learned to drive on a manual transmission. That was my first car was a manual transmission, uh, and so I learned on it. I could teach it, but i, I wouldn 't even know where to borrow someone 's car to teach them how to drive a standard transmission i 'd have if I called a rental store you know a car rental place, would they even have a standard transmission? I truly would not know. I wouldn't have the slightest idea how to find a standard transmission car uh, to be able to teach my kid how to be able to drive one. Uh, Your thoughts on whether or not our kids even need learn how to drive a standard transmission rather than an automatic transmission 866-408-7669 my name is joe kelly this is the brian kilmeade show uh let's go to eric who's joining us here in orlando on uh on my station on wdbo hey eric you're on the brian kilmeade show with joe kelly how are you
8: they they call that the millennial anti-car theft device. yes it is
2: that's exactly right
8: (laughs) um i just wanted to weigh in on maui um sounds a little fishy, 25 beet processing plants burned down, then we find out that in Maui so many of these large companies have been trying to buy land from the homeowners and they won't sell, now it's burned down. As you know here in Orlando, you can't build on wetlands. This big developer wanted to build, all of a sudden there's a controlled burn that went awry and now it's no longer wetlands and there's track homes there. I, something just so, smells fishy in all this because all the millionaires' homes were nice and safe, and Oprah should be ashamed of herself. Why isn't she on the sag picket line? Just saying.
2: Now that is an interesting thought, Eric. Thank you so much for that. I, I, I do appreciate it. I, I don't know. Uh, preliminary reports indicate that the power company – in fact, the power company's uh, stock prices have, have absolutely tanked uh, the Hawaiian electric Uh, has tanked. um, And and sometimes, frankly, sometimes a kiss is just a kiss. And uh, sometimes we don't need to read more into something. Uh, It's not beyond the realm that that could be a genuine wildfire there in Maui. After all, the winds were whipping at at 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, thanks to a hurricane uh, further out in the Pacific. That was Hurricane Dora, I believe it was. Um, and so it it seems as if that was just a genuine wildfire that they were dealing with and not something more problematic from there. Uh, We're going to get into the uh, the two E's and Michael Orr for you coming up in just a couple of minutes. Out of uh, Canada, a 40-year-old man who believes he is a woman demolished his competition in a women's powerlifting event in Western Canada. Some saying the weightlifter said an unofficial women's Record in the process. The 40 year old uh, lifted a combined weight of 1,317 pounds, blowing away the second place female finisher. Uh, who only lifted 854 pounds. Uh, Of course, your mileage may vary as to whether or not you think that was a man or a woman who lifted that weight. All right, we know she's a woman. Jerry Willis is joining us just fresh off of TV in that wonderful green dress. Uh, She was just on America's Newsroom moments ago. Jerry Willis, Fox Business Reporter here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, Jerry. I'm Joe Kelly. How are you?
9: Hey, Joe. I'm good. How are you today? Yeah, this story... I mean, this has layers like an onion like you have never seen. It goes on and on.
2: Now, we're talking about Michael Orr. Yes. I just want to make sure we're on the same page because there's a lot of stories that have lots of layers. So so the Michael Orr story. Now, that, the, the movie The Blind Side, that was my first exposure to who Michael Orr even was. Right. And and I I love the movie. It had such a great, uh, a great story. Uh, of course, there is a film trope of the great white savior, and and that certainly was the trope in that movie of a, of a white person saving a person of color. Uh, but now, uh, I don't want to say that there are facts coming out, but there are certainly a lot of allegations that are coming out. Why don't you bring us up to speed?
9: Well, there are a lot of allegations, a lot of finger pointing going on, and much of this got underway with a petition that was filed by Michael Orr earlier this week, He is saying that, you know, look, this family gave me no money for the blind side. Uh, I'm receiving nothing for a film that grossed $330 million and I should get some money. And the family is saying, well, that's not true. Yes, he did. He shared in the profits with us. Now, he says that they got individually, everybody in that family got $225 million each plus 2% of the gross and the family is saying the Tuie's uh, are saying Sean and Lee Tuie uh, are saying, "Well, no, we only got fourteen thousand dollars for that movie."
2: Well, I was going to say two hundred twenty-five million each. That math doesn't work because that's that's far more
9: than the movie made. Oh, sorry, two hundred twenty-five thousand. Okay, Pardon okay, me. Okay. okay. Joe, apologies. Oh, that's so right. the right number is two hundred twenty-five thousand. I okay. just added three zeros. You know, <laughs> that's how that goes. Um, but let me tell you, there's all kinds of things popping up just today. For example, a red flag in a 2017 video from a reality TV show called Below Deck that surfaced. It shows uh, the father, um, uh, Sean Tuey, talking about how he negotiated with Steven Spielberg and Harvey Weinstein for uh, rights to their names. Strange. He never mentions this in any conversations about this. And then they have pictures of the couple traveling all over the world, flying in a Cessna. I mean, like Richie Rich. The reality is, of course, this couple had a lot of money to begin with. They owned a ton of food, uh, fast food franchises. They had their own money. Whether the money they used for what's shown in the pictures is from that or from the proceeds from the money? Nobody knows. They are saying like they're just very sad about what's happened. That they want to defend their name. Uh, that they're not going to allow or to to make them look like bad guys because they're not. I mean, it's it's hard to know what's true here. And and I'm I'm shuffling through all this material, including the uh, lengthy document that or. Uh, filed in probate court in Shelby County, Tennessee, uh, looking at his allegations here. Now, and you and, should understand just one quick mm-hmm. other fact. The family, the twoies say that uh, Orr has not been cashing the small checks they send him with proceeds. So Orr says he got nothing. They say they're sending checks he's not cashing. A lot of this is not adding up.
2: We're talking to Jerry Willis, Fox Business reporter. And Jerry, you know, we're hearing extortion now. Yeah. Uh, as the TUI family is is saying that in text message threads uh, that Michael Orr had, had threatened them that he would go public with this information if they didn't pay him.
9: So, what's being said? is that he threatened to plant plant a negative story about the family unless they paid him $15 million. The Tui's are calling this a shakedown. And if this is in some kind of text message uh, where you can see it on a phone, uh, that's going to be very problematic for Michael Orr. Now, the family, the Tui's say that he's been complaining for a long time to them privately about what's going on and asking for more money while they believe they've lived up to their obligations. Now you should know that. So, or was in a conservatorship. He wasn't adopted. A lot of people believed he had been adopted by the two family. Not true. He was in a conservatorship. And you're going to remember this because uh, remember Britney Spears was in a conservatorship and yeah. she blew that up two years ago. Her dad ran her money, ran every detail of her business life. And so since he was in a conservatorship, all of this money would have been guided and managed by them, right, by the TUIs. So he's trying to blow that up right now. They say they're happy to unwind that. But how this issue of payment from the, from the movie is completely unresolved. Now, you know the book, the book originally that the movie was based on was written by Michael Lewis. So presumably he got money from this. I reached out to him. I have heard nothing back. Uh, Warner Brothers released the movie. I reached out to them. I haven't heard back. Um, Sandra Bullock is being hounded on social media. I, people, I, I people can't are, believe that. Oh, my God. People are saying she should give back her Oscar. That's insane. Uh, uh, that Yes. I mean – Really, this so, is, this isn't
2: Millie Vanilli, where their performers were committing the fraud. Uh, Sandra Bullock was not committing a fraud. Yeah, she was doing what she was paid to do, and that is act the part, uh, probably without any idea of the underlying accusations that would come out years later.
9: Well, you should know that the Blind Side uh, star who performed, uh, you know, the. Uh, Um,
2: Played the Michael uh, Michael Orr part.
9: Yes. His name is Quentin Aaron. Uh, He's defending her, saying that he was shocked by the lawsuit. I mean, clearly this is you know, they had no idea this was coming. Um, But everybody in a corporate position on this story is standing pat their mom. They're not saying anything. And this is all playing out in a Tennessee courtroom where this goes. I have no idea. And the real strange bizarre twist is that or appeared did a round robin of interviews he had a new book out last week he was all over the place interview you know here at fox and he was other just places. on
2: kilmeade last
9: wednesday i don't understand i mean like it didn't really come up in those interviews why yeah you know, but- if he was going to drop a bombshell like this petition it's technically a petition not a lawsuit why didn't he talk about it then? It it's very unclear.
2: Let's take a listen to Michael Orr just last Wednesday here on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
8: With the movie in particular, did it roughly tell your story? I know you didn't love the way the movie came out, but do you, were you happy with the the fact that Michael Orr's name got out there and what you overcame to to be what you became?
7: No, I'm thrilled to uh, to have a movie made about me. I'm, it's surreal, actually. Uh, I think. What it did was gave me a position to be in and that I'm honored to be able to motivate and inspire generations behind me. Um, no, it, Other things led to me, you know, saying uh, where people may, may think I don't like the movie. But no, being where I'm from, the roads that I had to travel uh, to have a movie made about you that inspire the world, know your name.
2: No, uh, it's all it's all good. Michael Orr, just last week on The Brian Kilmeade Show. And, Jerry, one could argue that if not for the intervention of the Tui family, that Michael Orr would have never had the opportunity to play college ball, would have never had the opportunity to play in the NFL, uh, and and may well have ended up dead or or behind bars or, or doing, you know, menial work, manual labor or something else, that the Tui's gave him quite an opportunity.
9: Well, so at 11 years old, he was essentially a ward of the state uh because his you know his parents weren't around he was on his own he was sort of moving from friend to friend's house I mean he had a very rough growing up there is no doubt about that and the two ees at, at at one point step in and and decide that they're gonna help him. Uh what I can't square is how he talks on Brian's show, this show about how this was a great thing that they helped him. And then, you know, what is it? Five days later, files a petition in Tennessee court saying, hey, you know, I, I, I this this isn't right. I want to get some money. It's like he's been taken over by somebody. I don't. I don't understand that these two things are in contrast to each other.
2: And honestly, he, he you know he made millions in the NFL, and he could probably make millions on the lecture circuit uh, because he had such a compelling story to tell. I would think that that guy would be booked nonstop on the right. lecture circuit. But now the whole story is besmirched. Everything we thought we knew uh, isn't as motivational, perhaps. As we thought we knew it to be. And I think that would kill uh, some of the ability to get out on the lecture circuit and, and make a continued name for himself. I don't know where Michael Orr goes from here uh, in making these accusations at this point.
9: Uh, the son of the TUIs, uh, the birth son of the TUIs, uh, was out yesterday S-J. talking about this and saying how shocked he was by everything and how much the family really loved Michael and uh, wanted to support him. You know, even the first day this was out, they were out saying, oh, well, we don't really want to talk badly about Michael. So I guess we're going to have to wait for more information. But this is certainly a fascinating story. And really, I have to tell you, I think a sad one because you hate to see a a narrative like this that was so positive.
2: You know. Yeah, I just I think it's it's bad news all around. Uh, Jerry Willis, Fox Business reporter. Jerry, thank you so much. Thank you. Great for, to talk to you. Yep. Great talking to you here on the Brian Kilmeade show. We'll continue. We've got some time for your phone calls coming up next. And we got a line open for you right now. 866-408-7669. My name is Joe Kelly. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade show.
1: Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: My name is Joe Kelly at Talk Radio Joe. Filling in for Brian Kilmeade today. BK is going to be back with us tomorrow. You can join me here on the Brian Kilmeade Show at 866-408-7669. Tracy is checking in from Dayton, Ohio. Hi, Tracy. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show with Joe Kelly.
10: Hi, Joe. Uh, Two comments. Just uh, real quick, Sandra Bullock should not give the Oscar back. No. And regarding when Brian Kilmeade had asked uh, Michael Orr if he was happy with the movie, he, he did stumble just a little bit when he answered his question. Because he, um, he, he said no first? He had some things to say. <laughs> um, he Is said it because he said like, no first? Well, no, it was because he said something like, well, I've said other. And then he stopped and just answered mm. the very direct question about what you know what basically the movie did help him and he stayed on that focus but he he did stumble a little bit like there was something else he wanted to say but chose not to
2: well and i would imagine even when he talked to Brian Kilmead he had to have known in the back of his mind that he was going to be filing this petition uh, with a judge. He had to have known that that information was going to be coming out later in the week or the following week. Uh, there, there's no way he did not know that this was on the horizon. Tracy, I'm so glad you called. Thank you so much for listening to The Brian Kilmead Show. My name is Joe Kelly, The Brian Kilmead Show. You can find it online at com, And, of course, you can call 866-408-7669. My name is Joe Kelly at Talk Radio Joe. You're listening to The Brian Kilmead Show.
1: Fox News Headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Man, I'm so glad you're joining us here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. My name is Joe Kelly, at Talk Radio Joe on Twitter, at Talk Radio Joe on Truth Social, at Talk Radio Joe on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok, on MySpace on PS4 on everywhere. Just look for at Talk Radio Joe. Uh, If you want to follow along, I am the host of the, well, the Joe Kelly show here on WDBO in Orlando, Florida, right in the heart of central Florida. Uh, Walt Disney World just to our south. Uh, We're just a couple of miles away from SeaWorld, from Universal Orlando Resort. And then we're about an hour away from the Kennedy Space Center and, of course, our beautiful beaches, uh, both on the Gulf Coast and the Atlantic Coast. Now, speaking about the Space Coast... Uh, we do have a rocket launch tonight from Cape Canaveral. Uh, the, these are more of the Elon Musk Starlink internet satellites. It's scheduled for an 8.14 p.m. launch. Now, today it's going to be kind of special because today the sun sets at 8.04 p.m., which means by the time the launch happens at 8.14, there will still be a little bit of light left, but... Uh, As you guys well know, when the sun sets, the clouds sometimes remain illuminated uh, because the clouds are up higher than the ground is, right? That makes perfect sense. Well, when a rocket launches, you've got the the contrails coming off of the back of the rocket that are as high as 100,000, 150,000 feet up in the air, and when the sun hits those – It is so beautiful. I can only liken it to what I had to imagine would be say like the northern lights or something but it ends up making these beautiful contrails way up in the sky and invariably someone will call 911 and report UFOs uh, but it is not. It's a rocket launch. We do have severe weather potentially in the forecast today here in central Florida after we get through our 95 98 degree temperatures it's going to be another hot one here in central Florida before the rocket launch tonight Uh, again that's for 814. If you've never seen a rocket launch in person, which I had not uh, until I moved. I moved to Orlando from Tulsa, Oklahoma, beautiful Tulsa, Oklahoma, in 2011. Shout out to our KRMG listeners. Uh, But I moved here in 2011, and I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but standing in Orlando, Florida, on a clear day, clear day or clear night, we can see rocket launches all the way from Cape Canaveral, from the coast. I mean, I can walk outside my front door, again, clear day, clear night, uh, and see the rockets taking off. It is quite a spectacular sight. You get a little bit closer to the rocket launches. You get out on the Space Coast. Uh, you not only can see it, but you can feel the the blast wave and hear the blast wave as it comes over you. Uh, you know, minutes after the launch takes place. Uh, my kids were very little the first time I took them to a launch, and when the boom finally hit us. Uh, I said that that's the that's the sound of the rocket. No, Dad. No, I was like, no, no. Let me explain this. We so we had to discuss the the physics of uh, the speed of light versus the speed of sound. So anyhow, exciting place to be here in Central Florida. Speaking about Central Florida and uh, Florida in general, uh, the senior senator from Florida. I take that back. I'm so sorry. The junior senator from Florida, uh, Senator Rick Scott. Hello, Senator. How are you? So you you just made me way younger. I, I did make you way way younger, the junior, I, and I think senior because you're our former governor as well. Right. Uh So I, I know you've been you you have been leading uh, Floridians for quite some time now. Uh, but Senator Scott, it's glad uh, great to have you here on the Brian Kilmeade show. We got a lot to discuss. Uh, you are uh, up for re-election this time around. The United States Senate, uh, one third of the Senate is up for reelection every two years, and and this is your time. How are your prospects looking? We're going to win.
11: Um, you know, we've won, I've, I've won my two governor's races and the Senate race by talking to Floridians uh, and by listening to what their needs are and solving their needs. And so when I got elected in 2010, I told people we get our state back to work, and we worked hard to make sure the private sector did that, and we did it. Uh, we added actually 1.7 million jobs, and I said we get 700,000. We did the same thing in our reelect, and I've been in Washington four and a half years, Trying to make make of work the way we we made Florida work when I was governor. Uh, accountability, um, you know, treat people with respect, but you know, balance the budget, uh, watch how you spend all the money, focus on the things that are important to Floridians. So I did that, and I'm continuing to do that. It's not the easiest thing in the world. Uh, but we're doing it every day. I put out my plan how we're going to rescue this country, which it needs to be rescued. The country's in trouble, uh, and we're going to do it. We're going to. Re- you can go to rescueamerica.com. I put out my ideas. The last week and a half, I've been traveling the state to talk about how we're going to keep our kids safe. Uh, there's a lot of things we did when I was governor uh, that are, are applicable, but there's new things that are happening, like AI, that we've got to really focus on.
2: Now you took on the gargantuan task of Of turning the Senate red during the last election that didn't work out is that going to inhibit uh, you at all moving forward?
11: Well, that was disappointing, uh, but I think the, what happened is the same reason I ran against Mitch McConnell to be the Republican leader. we have to have a plan. Um, we have to tell people why why we're you know what are we running for? why should you support us? And that means we've got to fight like hell to balance the budget, watch how we spend our money, make sure we have the most lethal military, not the most woke military. Uh, make sure we do everything we can to you know, hold China accountable, do all the things that you know, we know we have to do. It always comes down to how do you help a family in three ways. Number one is make sure their livelihood is intact. I focus on jobs. Now the big issue is inflation. We're not going to get inflation under control until we, you know, we start balancing our budget. So I'm working really hard uh, to balance the budget and stop wasting the money. Number two, keep keep our kids safe. Um, you know, you don't need more IRS agents, probably like most Americans. We don't need more of them. Let's take that money and put it into school safety uh, and an armed law enforcement in all of our public and private schools. Um, on top of that, make sure we, we help our law enforcement. I had 49... Uh, sheriffs endorsed me uh, a couple weeks ago because they know that I'm very focused on keeping families safe. So I think I, my election is going to be about how do we deal with the issues that are most um, relevant to Floridians, and I'm doing it every day.
2: We're talking to Florida Senator Rick Scott. Senator, I, I read the statistic that uh, with the inflation that we have been dealing with, it comes out to an average – of seven hundred nine dollars per household in America that they're having to pay extra, and that's seven hundred nine dollars a month extra that we weren't paying you know just four years ago seven hundred nine dollars a half
11: years ago actually Joe I mean, that got is, elected two and a half years ago that, that and, is and it's a thousand dollars I think in Florida for floridians it's even more than that nationally it's seven hundred, but Florida it's even higher
2: I mean people and are they, struggling to get by
11: government spending.
2: Pardon? People are struggling to get by. Consumer credit card debt is at an all-time high. People are now digging yep. into their 401ks to help make ends meet. Uh, what, is the, what is the solution here other than uh, getting rid of Bidenomics?
11: Well, that's what it is. We've got it. It starts with balance the budget, get the economy going, get people back to work. Well, I think we have 100 million people of working age not working anymore. You can't have 132 million people. That's the only number of people we have working now in this country to pay for all of these programs. So we're running a trillion-dollar-plus. I think it's going to be almost $2 trillion of uh, deficit. That means what's happening, your mortgage rate's up. It's over 7.5%, I think, now for a 30-year mortgage. Your credit card interest rate's up. Your car interest rate, if you're going to buy a car. That all comes out of your pocket. So I I think we've – the big thing is balance – I balanced the budget when I was governor of Florida. The state did not balance its budget in 20 years before I got elected. We said, this is what our revenue is going to be. This is what our expense is going to be. And then our job is to allocate the dollars the best way we can, the most important issues, like you do, like every family does. Um, and then if we're going to do anything, we've got to say, it's got to be held accountable. There's 4,000 lines of the budget in Florida. When I was governor, I went through every line. We had a written purpose. If you didn't make your purpose, I vetoed your money. We got to have the same attitude about our federal spending. And we can't have people you know, just going on government programs without – if they're able-bodied – look, if you're disabled, it's completely understandable. If you have young children, it's completely understandable. But otherwise, if you're able-bodied, go to work. Don't be on a government program. That's not fair to the rest of us.
2: I want to talk about a a Florida man, if you will. He's kind of a half Florida man, uh, as Donald Trump is what we call here in Florida, a snowbird. Uh, snowbirds are those people who live in Florida during the winter, uh, but they they live up north during the summer. And that's where the president, former president, stays in Bedminster, New Jersey during the summertime. But in the wintertime, he comes down here to Mar-a-Lago. Uh, so he is a part time Florida man. Uh, still, as we got the latest indictments on him this week, what do you make of all of the different jurisdictions that are coming after Donald Trump?
11: Well, I mean, this is what you see in other countries. Um, you know, and, and you know what the FBI, DOJ, these uh, district attorneys should do? They should go hold a press conference and explain the difference, like in Georgia. Now, explain what Stacey Abrams did versus what Donald Trump did and how it's different. And maybe they can, maybe they can explain it, but they won't do it. FBI and uh, DOJ explain the difference to what Hillary Clinton did when she went and tore up uh, her phones, just smashed her phones and got rid of, and got, uh, uh, took all the emails off a server when she was under federal subpoena and that's okay. Or Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, all the information is coming out that they took um basically bribes from around the world. Tell tell us why they're not being prosecuted. But the main political opponent to Biden, Donald Trump is. So I think what what's what we're all seeing now is there's two levels of justice. If you're if you're a Democrat, you get treated one way. If you're a Republican you get treated another way.
2: Certainly conservatives see it as a two tiered justice system. I'm not sure the Democrats see it the same way. Uh, but the conservatives certainly see it that way.
11: Well, I, th- I think why don't we just be transparent? Tell us what the difference is. I mean, you know, how is that like when you're when you are in, involved in government? You don't own the government. You work for the American people. You have an obligation to be transparent. If there's questions. DOJ, FBI, anybody that wants to go indict Donald Trump, you've got an obligation to explain the difference. I mean one thing when when I was governor and when I do this, if somebody is saying something that I that I did or something that you put out, we went and did a press conference. We explained what we were doing. So we got rid of all the ambiguity. If I if you know when the you know the Parkland school bill, uh, that you know, try to make our school safer I've done press conferences on that, and I can, to this day will explain why we did what we did and how it's kept our schools safe. And that's what we all should be doing. But FBI, DOJ, these you know these uh, state attorneys that were district attorneys, whatever they are, they want to indict Trump. They don't they don't want to do that. They don't want to explain the difference. They just want to say it's you know nothing. So and I mean it just looks it looks like there's two tiers of justice.
2: Let's talk about another Florida man, uh, and that would be Mickey Mouse, uh, and/or Ron DeSantis, both of whom Florida men. Um, as as Governor DeSantis is is now, you know, throwing it out there that he would like to move on from the dust up with Disney. I'm not sure Disney is ready to move on from the dust up with Ron DeSantis. What is your take?
11: Well, when I was with, uh, with when I was governor, I had a very good working relationship with uh, with Disney. There. Probably the biggest economic driver in the state. I, I'm disappointed when they got, got politically active over whether grade school kids should be taught about sex. I don't think they should. Um, but here's, you know, we've got to have cooler heads prevail. There's a lot of jobs at Disney. It's an economic driver in our state. Um, they, we've got to figure out how to work together. We've got to continue to build jobs in this state. The most important thing we can do for a family uh, I grew up in public housing. I watched my parents struggle for work. Most important thing we can do is build a better economy, and that, that and part of it is working with companies. You can still be disappointed in a company that that you know, says the wrong thing, and I don't know why Disney wanted to engage like that. But let's figure out how we how we continue to build our economy.
2: We're talking to Florida Senator Rick Scott. He is uh, up for re-election this time around. I don't know if you know uh, that that one of your competitors. Uh, is a reality TV star. I don't know if you've even heard. I'm not sure our listeners have heard of the Tan Mom, Uh, but this woman, her name is Patricia Krentzel, and she hit everybody's social media radars a few years ago uh, because of her obsession with tanning beds. She was so tanned that she truly looked like she had donned blackface. And it was just absurd how tanned she was. And then she took her five year old daughter into a tanning booth with her, which, you know, caused a lot of outrage. She has truly, literally filed paperwork now with the Federal Election Commission to run against you uh in twenty twenty four i don't know if it's a publicity stunt but if you have you have ever heard of this woman
11: i'd never i didn't hear she she had done that i mean i look I, if you want to run against somebody you're gonna have to you're gonna have to explain how you're gonna do something better than what they've done uh so uh you know m- my job is continue to do my job and we're gonna win because You know, we've worked hard. I have a great team, by the way. My constituent services team in the state won for the best constituent service team of every House member and every senator in the Senate last year. And I'm going to continue to work with my team to make sure we're the best U.S. senator there is out there.
2: I didn't know we had such competitions for best constituent services. Yep. Yeah, I have have the best team in the country. Senator Rick Scott uh, in in Maui now, are we doing enough to help the, the victims there?
11: Well, you know, I have not been there, but, boy, your heart goes out to them. It's like what I went through with these hurricanes. You just – your heart goes out to the, the amount of loss of life because, you know, the most important thing in a disaster is to keep everybody alive. And so, I you know, they keep saying that the death toll is going to go up. Um, you know, look, the devastation of the, of the homes is horrible, but, gosh, the loss of life is just devastating. Yeah, uh, to people. So I don't know. I think what they have to do is do what what I tried to make sure we did with every hurricane is learn. So what what can we do differently to keep people safe, keep people alive and get people back to a normal life as quickly as possible. And that's something we're gonna have to find Uh, find out what happened there
2: senator rick scott thank you so much for joining us here on the brian kilmeade show my name is joe kelly coming up next it's going to be all phone calls for the rest of the show so you can call in right now 866-408-7669 we got a line open for you 866-408-7669 i'm joe kelly you're listening to the brian kilmeade show
1: newsmakers and newsbreakers here at first on the brian kilmeade show If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmead.
2: Hey, I'm Joe Kelly at Talk Radio Joe from WDBO here in Orlando, Florida in the Florida Freedom Zone, filling in for Brian Kilmeade, who is on assignment today. He'll be back tomorrow. You can join me at 866-408-7669. I know a lot of you guys have been trying to get your get your get their calls through. I've been waiting very patiently, and we're going to be taking calls all the way through the rest of the hour. Let's go to John in Michigan. John, hey, man, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for having me.
1: You bet.
7: Uh, I'm listen, listening to your show this morning, and I heard you mention about the Maui fires. They're yes. referring to them constantly as wildfires, but you mentioned that the electric company – was doing some type of controlled burn on the island. No, now, weren't, they weren't doing a
2: they weren't doing a controlled burn. It's just believed that the electric company started the fire because of the high winds caused the lines to arc or fall over.
7: Ah, see, I'm sorry. I I thought you said that they were out doing a controlled burn. In uh, my question was why would they be doing that in 80 mile an hour winds? Yeah, yeah,
2: that, that was the that that therein lies the problem was the 80 mile an hour winds, and it is the same way. By the way, that the second deadliest modern fire in American history is the Camp Fire uh, in California from 2018. That fire also started by power lines. Uh, which they're saying is the likely cause of the fires in Maui. John, thank you so much. More of your phone calls coming up next, 866-408-7669.
1: Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Man, I'm so glad you're joining us here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. My name is Joe Kelly. Brian is going to be back tomorrow. You can join me at 866 408 7669. If I can take just a minute to say that if, if you ever get the chance, uh, you know, you if you love listening to Brian Kilmeade, and I know you do, uh, if you ever get the chance to see him in person, he, he uh, as you well know, he tours the United States on a pretty regular basis. He has a lot of appearances, he gets out and promotes his books and, and other things. If you ever get a chance to see Brian or meet Brian in person, I highly highly encourage you to take advantage of it. Uh, he has come to Orlando on numerous occasions and no one has ever been disappointed. He is uh, d- delightful uh, in person, as delightful in person as he is on the radio. Uh, he is he's effervescent he's he's truly wonderful uh his his uh, stage productions are tremendous. Uh, he He is as nice in person as he is on the radio he 's just a great guy, uh, and i I'm under no obligation to say that. Is that in my contract? Do I have to say that no i 'm under no obligation to say that whatsoever uh, but i I am like you, a big fan of Brian Kilmead, so take advantage of it if you ever get the chance to to uh, to do so uh, to expand a little bit more on something that we mentioned earlier in the show. The typical American household spent seven hundred nine dollars more. In July, than they did two years ago to buy the same goods and services. $709 a month, we are now paying extra because of inflation. And this is just in the last two years, $709 a month. Now, I'm not really a foodie. In fact, I'm the opposite of a foodie. I am a, I'm, a, I'm a culinary simpleton. Right it doesn't take much to to please me when it comes to food. And so uh, you know I, a lot of times you no know, every day I have to eat when I'm here at the radio station. So I decided yesterday I was going to stop at my neighborhood Publix um and I bought one loaf of bread, one jar of peanut butter, one jar of honey and a bag of Cheetos. <laughs> And I said all right i 'm just going to make you know peanut butter and honey sandwiches at work for a while. Just buying those those items again, bread, honey, peanut butter, and Cheetos was twenty five dollars just for, for that Now, fortunately, I can make a lot of sandwiches out of that, and I can stretch that you know pretty long way. But man, things are so out of control right now when it comes to to prices. Uh, And to affording living, I don't know how some people do it. I truly don't. No wonder people are are digging into their credit cards. No wonder our credit card debt has exceeded a trillion dollars. Personal credit card debt has exceeded a trillion dollars. More people than ever before are taking hardship withdrawals from their 401ks. I mean, this is bad. This is really, really bad for our economy. 866-408-7669. The show is yours here until the top of the hour. Uh, We've got nothing but phone calls ahead at 866-408-7669. Let's go to Naples, beautiful Naples, Florida. Jr. is joining us here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, Jr.
8: Hey, Joe. You're doing a great job today. Very
2: fascinating uh,
8: uh, topic. Thanks, bud. Um, uh, uh, I used to live in Hawaii and... Um, I, I this, don't take this as a criticism.
6: Mm-hmm.
8: We got to be really careful about throwing out why this started right now. Just very careful. The, the, the west sides of all of the Hawaiian islands are beyond dry. They're desert-like conditions, and Lahaina was an old beach town. It was almost like you know everything was built of wood. The, the town is so old; it's one of the oldest towns, if I remember correctly, in Hawaii, and. The, the it was a perfect storm of awful and now how it started right now to me is is it that's a done deal what 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 needs to happen now is the people need to be helped and my mom and i can barely look at the pictures because there's no recognizable structures to to pick a landmark and go oh god yeah that's that one street we used to go to that one sure. restaurant no there's nothing it is gone and and the loss of life is obviously number 1 uh, it, and it just breaks my heart that that this happened, and these people that live in Hawaii are so sweet and so helping of others. It's spooky, you know. They, they, they it, it's hard to explain Hawaii, and and it just, I, I just pray that everybody can come through and help their friends and, no doubt. you know, grieve with them. And it's just, you know, but you know, the the, the the looking for blame right now, I think, is too soon, Joe. I really do. I think it's just too soon.
2: Well, and and I brought that up only in that uh, you know somebody had uh, had mentioned a bit of a conspiracy as to how the fires got started, and and there does not appear to be a conspiracy, uh, at least not yet. Uh, rarely ever is there actually a conspiracy, uh, but it, it does appear that it would be the power lines that that arced it uh, and started it. But as you pointed out, it was the winds, it was the dry grasses. They've got non-native grasses that grow there that get very very dry. Uh, and the wind was whipping at 80 miles an hour, that from a, a nearby, not real close, but a nearby hurricane that had altered the weather pattern and whipped up these 80-mile-an-hour winds, which uh, fan flames, and they were moving at a mile a minute. I mean, you can't run at a mile a minute. I mean, that that is that is remarkably fast. JR, thank you so much. Let's go to North Carolina. Russ is joining us here on the Brian Kilmeade Show with Joe Kelly. Hi, Russ.
12: How you doing, sir? Good. Let me ask you a question. Completely off. Yep. Black and Decker. Do you really have twin sons named Black and
2: Decker? <laughs> I have twin sons. Their names are not Black and Decker. I just okay. ref- I refer to them that way on the radio.
12: Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, transmission, manual transmission, stick shift. Whatever. Okay, hang on, hang on. Let me let me I set.
2: Hang on a second, Russ. Let me set this up for our listeners who might have missed this. Uh, I, I took out one of my twin sons uh, driving. He's, he's studying for his driver's license. And I took him out driving a couple nights ago, and I caught him using two feet to drive. And he said, well, I, I see them using two feet on Fast and the Furious. And I said, well, A, don't. That's not a good you know model for you to for safe driving. And B, that's because they have a clutch, and you need two feet to drive with a clutch. And and I would love to be able to teach him to drive manual transmission. I wouldn't even know where to find. Find a manual transmission car. So go ahead.
12: <laughs> it's amazing. I am. I'm 71. Uh, I grew up, learned how to drive a Willys Jeep, or a Willys four wheel drive Jeep, four cylinder, three speed, standard transmission, and I thought that was the easiest thing in the world to drive. And everything since then has been easy. That was a hard thing to drive. That thing. But I tell you, if you can't drive a manual transmission, I pity you because sooner or later, somebody's going to need, all of us are going to need to drive a manual transmission even if it's a couple of hundred yards.
2: Why, why, would, you, why would you say that? Why, I mean, why do, you, why do you think we're all going to go back to manual transmissions?
12: Oh, I, I don't think we're going to go back to it. I'm driving a manual transmission right now. I wouldn't be, have anything but. But are you a truck driver? But, no, no, okay, I'm, okay. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cheapskate. I drive cheap cars, <laughs> manual transmission. Yeah, I've got, I've got a car that I'm getting uh, 40. I'm driving right now, 44. My point miles a gallon. I'm running at uh, 70 miles an hour with air conditioner on, and I never have had a problem with any manual transmission. A car this small with this little bitty engine, you're gonna come out better, and most of your cars are going to these little bitty engines. You're gonna come out better with a manual transmission as far as service, performance, and also the initial cost of buying a manual transmission and a small you know, seventeen thousand dollar car, which is cheap now. Yeah. You're gonna pay a thousand you're gonna pay roughly a thousand dollars for an automatic transmission
0: that will eventually
2: give you trouble. Yeah, Russ, thank you so much for your call, man. I appreciate that. I, honestly, you know, as, as as fewer and fewer drivers know how to drive a stick shift, I wonder how long it's going to be before fewer and fewer mechanics know how to fix a stick shift. Let's go to Midland, Texas. Steve is on the Brian Kilmeade Show with Joe Kelly. Hi, Steve.
6: Hello, Joe. I just wanted to say that uh, if, if the uh, environmentalists Have the influence in Hawaii that the ones that they do in California, the electric utilities are restricted on uh, how on uh, trimming vegetation away from the power lines. That's just wanted to let you know that. You know, that's Uh, that's
2: really interesting. And somebody said that on my local show as well. And I find that I don't want to I don't I don't want to doubt what you're saying. Because I have been involved in projects – oh, God, I don't even want to get into this, but I used to be – I was the reluctant president of my homeowners association, and I had to deal with a power company when they came in and said we want to trim all the trees back from the power lines. And and they just did an absolute hatchet job, quite literally, a hatchet job on our trees. And I ended up negotiating with them to get so, to get some replacement trees back from them. But you know, as I drive by these major transmission lines, is, at least here in Central Florida, I mean, they're very well trimmed back from from nearby trees. Uh, but you're telling me that that other areas don't trim the trim the vegetation back? <laughs>
6: That is, that is correct. Uh, They didn't used to do that in California, but the past few years, they have stopped uh, clearing uh, around the power lines. And that's strictly the uh, influence of the environmentalists.
2: Well, that seems foolish, wouldn't you say? I
6: I mean, that's, it's obviously, it's, it's the local government or the state government that is the one that's actually enforcing the restrictions, but. Yeah, no it, doubt. It does happen in some places.
2: Steve, thank you so much, man. I appreciate your phone call. Let's go to Linda. It says you're calling from France. I'm going to assume that's like France, Texas or France, Tennessee or France. <laughs>
10: no, 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 I'm actually calling from France, but oh my. I'm originally, I am, but I'm wow. originally from Dallas, Texas.
2: Gotcha. Okay. Well, how was France today?
10: It's good. It's good. good. So, no, it's very nice. I was calling in to talk about um the manual transmission mm-hmm. the the idea of automatic or manual transmission. um I actually love driving a manual, even as a girl <laughs> um there's so many positives to it for one you um better gas mileage but if uh, if you do end up moving overseas or even just taking a vacation overseas and you want to rent a car, pretty much you have to be able to drive a standard.
2: That's interesting. You need to know, yeah, I, that you makes need sense. To,
10: you need to be able to drive a stick shift, and you know why? It, well, all right. So when I graduated from college, which was in 1988, my very first car that I bought on my own was a stick shift. And at that point, I was just kind of this rebellious girl that my dad said, "Oh, you could. You're a girl. You'll never be able to drive a stick uh-huh. shift." So I bought. So that I went that way. I was rebellious and said. Yeah, I can. That sounds
2: like a challenge to me if if my yeah if, if my parents were to say oh you couldn't do that I'd be like oh yeah watch me. Exactly. Yeah. But and in fact this, it's, it's kind it, of interesting. I'll... I I've got a 19-year-old also a uh, daughter. She goes to the University of Tennessee and she drives a Jeep. Now her Jeep is automatic transmission but it does have a gear shift knob if you will to switch it from two-wheel drive to four-wheel drive and I said Uh, when I was riding with her as a passenger, I said, do you know how to switch it to four-wheel drive? And she said, no, I do not. And I said, well, uh, here, let me show you. Damned if I could not figure out how to switch it from two-wheel drive to four-wheel drive on her Jeep. I'm like, well, we might want to look for a YouTube video on that one.
10: (laughs) Hey, you know what? I have to compliment you on that because I think it's really great when fathers can show their vulnerability to their daughters to say, hey, I don't know this instead of acting all tough and Oh,
2: what
10: well,
2: was the car's fault? Yeah, no, that—that yeah, is on that. Clearly my fault. Linda, thank you so much. Give our best to France. Would you please?
10: I will. Hey, one more one more point. Go ahead. There's another thing about driving a standard. When you're driving a standard, you got your hand on the clutch all the time, which means you're not on your phone.
2: Oh, what a great point! And 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 as you kind of alluded to, driving a standard is fun. I mean, it makes driving fun. Yeah.
10: yeah. I like I so, like that part.
2: Thanks, Linda, so much. I'm so glad you called. Thank you for continuing to listen even after you leave the United States. 866-408-7669. Oh, let me say it slower. 866-408-7669. That's the number to call in right now for The Brian Kilmeade Show. My name is Joe Kelly. You'll find more details about Brian at briankilmeadeshow.com. We will continue with more of your phone calls coming up straight ahead on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Want even more, Brian? Download the
1: podcast at BrianKilmeadShow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews, on demand. More of Killmead coming up. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Killmeat Show.
2: Hey, I got to tell you, uh, big thanks. I-, I love these guys, Allison, Eric, and Pete. Uh, part of Brian's team, Brian has has put together just the greatest team of producers, uh, of executives to, to help make sure that the show comes off smoothly every day for Brian Kilmeade listeners. And, man, they just do a phenomenal job. So big thanks to those guys. And uh, Brian is going to be back with you guys tomorrow. Uh, so the, make sure you're tuning in uh, tomorrow for Brian Kilmeade as he, as he is back. You can join me now at eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. 408 7669 It's good, Oklahoma. Oklahoma, Barbara. Is on the Brian Kilmeade show with Joe Kelly hi Barbara how are you
10: I'm wonderful how are you excellent I just wanted to let you know that uh, my daddy taught me how to drive a manual you were not allowed to drive a car until you could drive a stick shift I drove a, an old bus with him down to Florida that had the, the Six speed. You pulled it up. You went through the six gears in, and we drove it up there and uh, down there and back, and then up to Illinois and back. So you learn how to change oil, change the tires, rotate yep. tires, change your spark plugs. You did it all, or you didn't
2: drive. I, you know, I'll tell you these days. Absolutely, teaching the kids how to change a tire is an is an absolute must. Changing oil, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I honestly, I don't think I will teach my kids how to change oil in a car because I. Honestly, I don't know that I could change oil in a car anymore. It's been a long time since I've been underneath a car. I did it a lot in high school and college, uh, but, but, but lately I have, I have not changed my own oil in a very long time, if for no other reason, just because of disposing of the oil. Uh, is much more difficult than it once was I mean used to be used to, i don 't know if you guys know this, but back in the day uh, there were guides on how to dispose of engine oil and it dealt with digging a hole in the ground, pouring the oil in, and filling it with rocks and and Clearly today we know better than disposing of oil that way. And it is just easier to go get your oil changed and have them dispose of it rather than doing it uh, doing it yourself. Uh, let's go to Steve, who's joining us in Georgia. Steve, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show with Joe Kelly. Thank you for calling.
8: Sure. I'm calling about convenience stores and them ripping people off. I did my research. I was buying Red Hots
5: for 25 cents for the little boxes a little over two years ago. They're now ninety-two cents. I ask a friend of mine who owns a convenience store what he pays for them. He says twenty-seven cents. Another example is the gummy lifesavers. Wait, wait, wait,
2: wait, hang on a second. But, but, but what was he paying for it? Say two years ago. I mean, what is what probably, is his pro- profit margin? Probably half
6: at about twelve cents. So if he doubled his price at $0.27, cents, he'd be in at $0.54
2: cents now yeah.
6: instead of $0.92 cents now. Steve,
2: I'm so glad you called. Thank you so much. And, you know, they they are convenience stores. I mean, you're paying for the convenience. Um, one might suggest that you buy Red Hots elsewhere. Uh, if Red Hots are something that you really enjoy, I would even suggest maybe going online and buying it in bulk uh, and then you won't have to really worry about, uh, you know, buying it at a convenience store because, uh, you know, buying in bulk, you're always going to have them. Brian Kilmeade is going to be back with you guys tomorrow. I'm very excited about that as a as a fan and, and regular listener of The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'll be glad uh, when BK is back as well. Uh, but thank you so much for being a part of the Brian Kilmeade Show. My name is Joe Kelly here in the Florida Freedom Zone. Uh, you can check me out weekdays, afternoons, 5 till 7 p.m. on WDBO in Orlando, host of the Joe Kelly Show. And, uh, of course, great to fill in for Brian as he is out today. Have a fantastic day today.